If you would turn to Genesis chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Genesis 23, verse 1. And Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a sojourner and a foreign resident among you. Give me a possession for a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial sites. None of us will refuse you his burial sites for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your desire for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Mechpelah, which belongs to him, which is at the end of his field, for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as a possession for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in and at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please hear me, I will give the silver for the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, hear me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between me and you? So bury your dead. So Abraham heard Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border, were deeded over to Abraham as purchased in the sight of the sons of Heth before all who came in at the gate of the city, of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abram for a possession, for a burial site by the sons of Heth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow your heads. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the historical narrative that we are going to study today. Thank you for telling us about the death of Sarah and her burial. Please be with us as we study your word and hear what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Death is a solemn event for everyone. It is the winding up of all earthly plans and expectations. It is the separation from all we have loved and lived with. It is often accompanied by much bodily pain and distress. It opens the door to judgment and eternity, to heaven or to hell. It is an event after which there is no change or space for repentance. That's from J.C. Ryle, about death. Something that we keep in mind as we talk here 
about the death of Sarah. It is an interesting passage. It is interesting because of where it sets. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we had that little family tree of Nahor, which started this new section, and now we are going to have two very pivotal, pivotal, event, pivotal events on either side, of course, of this is Sarah's death, then we're going to have the, the wife for Isaac, and then we're going to have the death of Abraham. We are in new territory now. The, story, the, the narrative, the historical narrative is changing away from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac. We have the death of a matriarch and a patriarch that is happening and the seed through which the redemptive line is coming. This particular story, or this particular narrative, this, this piece of history that we have here about Sarah, uh, 20 verses about the death and burial of Sarah, the most said about any woman in the Bible, and almost the most cohesive about any death of anybody in the Old Testament. It's an important verse. Uh, it's important what it tells us, and it's important what it's talking about. The title of this message today is Faith to the End. And I think we see that, and I'm sure we see that with Sarah. In, in the first verse, it says she lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Not one more or one less. The exact number of years that was ordained by God for her to have. She was 127 when she died. At this time when she passed, Abraham was 137 and Isaac was 37 years old. This is where we vector in on this particular historical narrative. This is where we find Sarah. This is where we find her death. It doesn't say how she died or why she died. It just says that this was all of her life and she passed away. It says in verse 2 that Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. She died. Well, let's turn to... Hebrews chapter 11, before I go there. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the whole list of, of, of the faithful that uh, the writer of Hebrews gives us. And we, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, we have Sarah is brought out, and the text brings her before us, and it says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she regarded him, that is God, faithful, who had promised. We certainly want to keep that in mind when we talk about, about Sarah uh, about her faithfulness to Sarah, uh, faithfulness to God, uh, that she was one who matured in her faith. We can certainly see that throughout the scripture from the time that we meet Sarah way back in the early parts of Genesis, way back when she, is, she becomes betrothed to 
Abram at that time, she, we spoke last week in the sermon that she was barren. We know that the promise was given to Abraham that he would have a son. And we know that Sarah and Abraham believed to a degree, but they certainly didn't have full faith. They remember they, they tried to manipulate the situation to have this son. Take Hagar, my maidservant, and have she can bear children. I'm too old. We remember that. Her faith when she dies then, after she has had Isaac, is much different than the faith she had way back then. We shouldn't forget that when we think about our own faith, that there is a maturing that comes through in our lives, through our experiences, through our trials, through our tribulations, through good things and bad things. Our faith is consistently and constantly growing. What we know about the Lord is constantly growing. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 gives us a little insight if we are to turn there, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Sorry, I need to put on my glasses. As we come into Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, what we find is we find the prophet in chapter 1 is crying out to the Lord for help. How long will your judgment be stayed? Will you not help Israel, or excuse me, Judah? Will you not help us in this situation? God answers and says, I'm going to do something amazing. And that amazing thing you're not necessarily going to like, that amazing thing is I'm going to bring a whole bunch of Chaldeans down, and they are going to destroy what's left of Judah. And they're going to do it because I command them to do this thing, even though they do not know me, because I am the Lord God. This is what he said, not the answer that they want, not the answer that Habakkuk wants. And then when we read in chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the fortification, and I will keep watch to see what he, what God will speak to me, and how I may respond when I am reproved. When I am corrected, then Yahweh answered me and said, write down the vision and write it on on tablets distinctly that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It pants toward its end and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. I'm going to stop right there for a second. When we see the story of Sarah, when we see the, his, the history of Sarah, we see reproof, we see tarrying, we see things that are not happening in the time frames that people would desire. When we consider Sarah's life, that when she gives Hagar to her husband to have a child, it is fully another 10 years before she will bear Isaac. It is almost a decade after the promise is given that she will bear Isaac. Faith in what God is doing, while God tarries in our viewpoint, 
right? Trusting in the promise is what we see Sarah growing into and maturing into. Notice how Habakkuk says uh, I'm, I, that I'm waiting for the Lord to speak to me and I may respond when I am reproved. Right? I'm waiting on the Lord and I'm being reproved for my actions, for speaking too boldly, for not thinking correctly. We see that through Sarah's life also. We see it through the missteps uh, with uh, with the kings, we see it with the missteps with Hagar. And so now in Habakkuk then he says, the Lord says, I will not delay in my time in verse four. He says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. So the proud one is the one who is prideful, the one who seeks to manipulate and do things of his own accord for his own advantage, whereas the one who is righteous waits upon the Lord, trusts in the Lord for what he is going to do. We see that in Sarah. We see that in her life as it has come to an end. That she was at one point in time when she became to know the Lord, and she was in a far different place when she died of knowing about the Lord and trusting in what he was going to do. She was faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. We cannot expect of ourselves to have full faith when we come to believe, can we? We are untested, right? We have not been proven for what we know. We are... But as we grow in the knowledge, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, as was said in Sunday school today, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2, renewing our minds day by day, right, that we have. We see that in Sarah. We see that she, and she doesn't have the book that we have. We never want to forget that. She does not have this. So when we go back to there, to Genesis chapter 23, It says that she is in the land of Canaan. She is in the land that has been given as the promise. Genesis chapter 17, verse 8. Genesis 17, verse 8. The land of the promise. It says, God speaking to Abraham, and I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So that's where Sarah died. That's going to set up the next part of the story, the next part of the narrative, the next part of the history that we have here. That's going to set that up for us. She has died in the land of Canaan. And it says there that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He'd been married to her for 127 years. They had seen a lot of things together. They had gone through many things in their marriage together. And he mourned for her and weeps for her. Do not miss this. 
John chapter 11, verses 33 through 35 tells us about Jesus weeping at the death of Lazarus. Why does Jesus weep there? He has said three times prior that he will be raising Lazarus from the dead. Three times prior, he said, I am raising, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet he weeps at that stay, at that point. So if we just take a brief look at John chapter 11, right? John chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her crying, and the Jews who came with her also crying, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. We just talked about Abraham weeping over his wife, who just passed away. Abraham knows the Lord pretty well. He trusts in the Lord and the promises. Jesus is weeping too. Why is he weeping? Because death isn't the way. Death was never the way. Death is only in the world because of sin. Jesus is not weeping because Lazarus has died. Jesus is weeping because of the effects that this has on people. It is not right. Go back to Genesis 3.15. God is going to make it right. Abraham and Sarah, key part of that. Well, here we have Abraham is weeping over his wife, and guess what? It's okay to do that. There's nothing in the scripture that says that you should not mourn for a loved one that you expect to see again in the new heaven and the new earth. To think differently is to go against what the scripture itself says, right? So this is all to lead to a sub-point that I have here that I cannot avoid. Uh, there are now 16 verses that deal with the burial of, of Sarah. 16 verses specifically about a burial plot for Sarah. And I may step on some toes right now when I say this about this. I think that we in the United States treat burial like a bunch of Gnostics do. I don't think we treat the burial of our dead the way we should. I think we treat it too flippantly. I think we, we treat the body itself as not important that we see that we make these statements, well, they're no longer in the body anymore. They're no longer there. The Spirit has risen to heaven, right? And those are true statements. But I'm going to tell you one, one thing here. There are 16 verses about the burial of Sarah that are specifically in the inerrant and infallible Word of God about the importance of her burial. And I think we, we I've heard people say it, I've said it, just kick my body into the ocean, kick it into a grave, it doesn't matter. Well, I'm here to tell you, I'm pretty sure it does matter. And I'm going to tell you why it matters. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 6. Deuteronomy 34, verse 6. I do feel pretty passionate about this. Uh, and it says in verse 5, so Moses, the servant of Yahweh, died. The servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the command of Yahweh. And he, Yahweh, the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, 
but no man knows the burial place to this day. Guys, God took the time to bury the body of Moses. God took the time to bury the body of Moses. Now we realize that God could have done anything with that body. But he buried the body of Moses. And here we have 16 verses about the burial of Sarah. Specifically laid out about this purchase of a place to place her body. Right? Go to Psalm 139, 13. One thirty nine thirteen. This is David speaking. What does he say? For you, the Lord, formed my inward parts, and you wove me in my mother's womb. This is why I think that the way we treat burial is important. That it is a solemn occasion. And this is why. Because that body where the spirit no longer rests is a body that was created by God. You didn't put that body together. I didn't put that body together. The Lord himself put that body together. The Lord himself woefully and wonderfully made that body. And to just keep it, to just, to talk, just to treat it as a husk, right? I just, don't, I just don't think it's right, and I don't think the scripture supports doing that. I think what we see here is that there is a recognition that what God has made is good. That there's a recognition that God has given life to Sarah here and she was faithful to the end and that is good. And that is important enough that he desires to find a burial place for her and that is good. And he mourns her and that is good. The body, our bodies, this body I'm standing in here right now was not created by my parents. It was God who created this. It was God who created the, the, the legs that we walk on, the eyes we see with, right? And so I think there needs to be, we shouldn't be disrespectful to the things that God has created. Now what I'm not saying is some of the crazy things you see, but I'm saying that what we can, can do is to worship the Lord and glorify him in the burial procedures that we do. That we can glorify God and sing praises to the Lord for what he has done by giving us this person to be part of our lives, to giving us this believer that is there. And that's what we see with, with, with Abraham, uh, with he's getting this, this location. And this is, this is important. Died in Canaan, right? That's where she, she, she was at. He goes, what does it say right there? It says, he rose before his dead, so he is mourned for Sarah. She is, she is dead, perhaps, in the tent or whatnot like that. She needs a place to bury her, bury her. and he speaks to the sons of Heth. We know that those, uh, so, that those sons uh, uh, of Heth are, are Canaanites, because he's in the land of Canaan, right? He's in the land of Canaan, and he's speaking to them about a burial piece, right? Now, here's an interesting fact. Generally speaking, vast majority of cases, I'm not talking about war or things like that or, or, or major calamity, but I'm saying that if there was the opportunity 
Many times in the ancient Near East, a person, when they died, would be returned to their homeland. That's where they would be buried. And guess what? We see that to this day, don't we? A relative dies overseas, and if they can, they are flown back here to the United States to be buried somewhere. We go into cemeteries, and you see, oh, there are all my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-great-grandparents all buried here in this one section, right? So we see this behavior all to a point. We see this behavior that, that that would be typical, but yet here, she's not from here. She's from Haran. She's from Mesopotamia, 500 to 1,200 miles away, depending on how you draw the lines, right? That's where she's from, but, but Abraham isn't seeking to take her back there. He's going to these Canaanites, and he's seeking for a land plot here. I want to I bury Sarah here. Why is that important? Because it's the land of the promise, and get this. Abraham, when he buys this piece of land, will be the only piece of land that he owns in all of Canaan. This is it the only piece of land that he owns in Canaan. Because we read there in Genesis 17, 8, a good reminder here, it says, and I will give to you, God saying, to your seed after you, the land of your sojourning. He never takes up complete residence in that land. He is always literally a person of the land that is dependent upon the people of the land that are there. He's a great prince, as we're going to find out, but he is never a landowner but for this gravesite. But for this gravesite. This gravesite that will honor God and what he has done through the life of his wife, this living in the promise that has been given, living in that promise that this is the land, that I'm buying that, that burial site here, this is the family plot. This is the, you know, I, I am believing in the promises of the Lord because I'm putting the grave right here of my wife. Verse 4, I, I am a sojourner and a foreign resident among you. Give me a possession for a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Verse 5, and the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him. So he has approached them. Uh, I need this place. I, I need to do this for my wife. Uh, they know who he is. And it says, and they say to him, verse 6, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. They know what Abraham has done. They know about the battle with the kings. They know how he rescued Lot. They would probably know about the, the, the blessing of Melchizedek. Uh, they would know uh, probably about what went on with Abimelech. They would probably know all these things, but, and they would see how the Lord has blessed him. They would know the story of Isaac. They would see, have seen Sarah who at 100 years old now had, had new life. It's that new life began when she was 90, when she conceived. They would have known these things. They would see that he and her were well favored by the Lord. They would see and know and understand that they had faith in what the Lord was doing. 
And it says there, it says, uh, bury your dead. And it says, Almighty Prince among us, bury your dead in the choicest of our burial sites. None of us will refuse you his burial site, sites for the burying, uh, burying your dead. So Abraham rose, bowed to the people of the land, respecting the people that are there, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your desire for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, this leader that he needs to meet with, that he may give me the cave of Mechpelah, which belongs to him. Now, there is a reason for this particular spot that he's looking for, which is at the end of his field, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a possession for the burial site. A little aside, the reason in the presence, because at the gates of the city, you would see, you would see business dealings at generally two places back in this time. It would be at the gates of the city or at the threshing area where, 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 where business will be done. Let me do this in front of you so everybody can attest to it. Everybody can see that I have purchased this land here from him. There are witnesses to what is going on here. I want this cave at Mikpelah, right? That I can have it as a burial site. Now Ephron, who was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of the city, saying, so everybody that was passing by or passing through the gate was hearing this transaction that was happening, right? They were hearing what was going on here between this person from Haran who was sojourning in the area and this Canaanite uh, leader who was there, they were working out a business deal, right? And in verse 11 it says, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. Ephron wants to give the field to Abraham. Abraham is a mighty prince. I want to give the field to you, a gift from me to you. I want to give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of the people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. The people of the land. He, he is not a person of the land. A sojourner. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will only please hear me, I will give you the silver for the field. Accept it from me that I might bury my dead there. Doesn't this sound, doesn't this sound a little bit like the, like the dealings he had with the king of Sodom. After he had rescued Lot, after Melchizedek had blessed him, and then the king of Sodom wanted to give him things. And he said, no, I will accept nothing from you. We have a similar thing here. I'm not accepting anything as a gift of the people of the land. God has promised this land to my generations. God has promised, I do not need to receive a gift from you because God has promised this, but I will buy it from you. The only peace, again, that he will own. The only peace so he can bury his faithful wife, Sarah. The only piece of land that will be there that he will be buried in also next to his wife, two faithful people who trusted in the Lord in the promises that he was giving. 14, then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, hear me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. So Abraham heard Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver. 
commercial standards so that everybody sees the transaction that's at the gate. He's not gifted this, this field. Abraham is trusting in the promises of the Lord that the Lord will give the land to his generations. I'm not taking a gift from these Canaanites. I will pay for the land, right? These people of the curse, right? These people of the son of Ham, of, of Ham the son, right? I will pay you for it. And then it says in 17, so Ephron's field, which was in Michpelah, which faced Mamre. Oh, well, hold on a second. I've heard Mamre before. I wasn't sure where Michpelah was, but I know Mamre. I remember, I'm, I'm going back into my stories of Mamre. Mamre is important. This cave where Sarah, the wife, will be buried. This is interesting. The faithful wife the one who trusted in the Lord, the one who bore a child at old age. The cave is facing Mamre. We remember the oaks of Mamre. We turn backwards to Genesis chapter 13, verse 8. We find an interesting story about that. Ah, grabbed the wrong verse. I apologize for that. I grabbed the wrong verse on that. But verse 18.1, we find the second, uh, the second reading of that. It says, Then Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door to, in the heat of the day. Right? So there's the oaks of Mamre. So he is sitting in Mamre. Right? Previously, he had built an altar at Mamre to the Lord. He had had a theophany of the Lord there. And then at 18.1, which is key for that in Mamre, what happens there? So at the oaks of Mamre, while he is sitting at the tent door, the heat of the day, he lifted his eyes and behold, there was three men. Ah, we remember what this one is, right? We remember this story. John Weathersby preached on this the other week, right? Verse 10, it says, I will surely return to you at this time next year and behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. So at Mamre, where the cave is facing, the cave is facing that, there's the promise that, the, that his wife, Sarah, will have a son. She was eavesdropping at the tent door. And what does she do? It says, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing, and Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? So, Abraham has specifically purchased a cave in a field that is facing the place where they had the theophany of the Lord, where they saw the Lord was seen in a form there where the promise was given that she would have a child in old age and that she, la she laughed just thinking about how ridiculous that sounds. Isn't it fitting that this is a memorial for this woman and will be the cave for him to be buried at also facing this thing where the Lord's promises came to fruition, where they came true, where they were laid in stone uh, in, in heaven, right? That this was the thing that was going to happen, that this is where this, is this cave is facing. This is why he bought that cave. It is a memorial to the faith of Sarah and a memorial to the faith that he had in what the Lord would do. It's important that they have this field in this cave that lays there. 
looking at Mamre, where the Lord gave the promise to. In verse and then we go to that burial place. It just, it just wraps up quickly as 19 and 20. It says, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Michpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in, there, in it were deeded over to Abraham for a possession for a burial site by the sons of Heth. 127 years old, she died, facing the place where the Lord said that your wife in her old age will have a child. Sarah had faith, not all at once. She didn't have full faith the moment she heard about the promises of the Lord. She didn't have full knowledge of what that would look like. She had not matured in her faith, uh, but she did mature in her faith. They faced many trials and tribulations, and she matured through each one of those in her faith. We see her life in trusting in God and how he will bring about new life in this old person. How God will be seen as working his blessings through her when it seemed impossible. She was a living testimony to that. Imagine... She had, had Isaac at 90 years old. She's now 127. Isaac is 37 years old. How many times could she have told the story to people? She was a living testimony to the promises that God gave. And she would tell the story about how she didn't trust in all that God would do. And she said, I had... My, my husband had relations with my maidservant. And look how that turned out. But when I finally knew and trusted in what the God would do in his timing, look at this, at 90 years old, it's physically impossible I had a child. Imagine those stories that are being told. Think about what that life, that testimony to the blessings of the Lord. Do we ever think about our lives as testimonies to the blessing that God has given us? Do we live as though our lives are blessings from the Lord? Or do we live with dour faces, downtrodden? We have to think about that. She believed and trusted in those promises, and she matured knowing those promises, trusting in the Lord. She had that faith to the end. We know from Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28, that all things work, all things work. We do apologize for those who heard us read this this morning, but it is God's word, so it is good for us to hear it repeatedly and repeatedly. It says in 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In Sarah's case, all things work for the good that are for those that are called according to his purpose. All things without exception. Everything in your life works to God's good that is happening as a believer. Everything in Sarah's life, including the misstep with, with Hagar, including the misstep with the other kings and lying about who she was, all those things work to God's good. 
where areas where God's blessing would be shown, where God's hand of guidance would be seen, and especially at a 90-year-old woman who is giving birth to a child and is given new life to raise a child at 90 years old. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tired at 50-some years old. But she has to be, there is new life that is given to her to be able to do this. You know, I think sometimes we don't think about what that meant for her. At 90 years old, I mean, she wasn't sitting on a rocking chair like, 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 like Granny, right? She was given new life to have a child to, to bring forth new life as, as God has given. She was a living testimony to the blessings of the Lord. A living testimony to the greatness of what God has done. A living testimony to the God that could do anything for his glory. Right? That's who she was. They worked all things, all things, worked together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. And guess what? She dies without seeing the full fruition of those promises. She doesn't see the generations that will have the land of Canaan. She trusts of what God's going to do. She trusts that God will make everything right. She trusts that she will go to the living God. The promises continue even at our death. They don't cease when we die. We see that throughout the scripture. She has that faith to the end. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Now, if I believe in the promises of the Lord, I believe what he has done through Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I believe that in the resurrection of the body, I believe in the new heaven and the new earth, I believe that he will come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe that he rose on the third day. I believe that he defeated death in doing so. I believe that he lived the life that I couldn't live and died the death that I couldn't die so that I might be saved. I believe those things. I believe those things as much as I possibly can believe them in my sinful state. And I look at Hebrews 10.23, and I think about Sarah's life, and I think about how she bore a child at old age, and I think about how she died and was buried without seeing the full fruition of the promises. She would probably have no idea of how long it would take until Christ would come, until that was part. She only knew that through the seed, and she was part of that, it would happen. She would have never known the name of Jesus, although she knows him now at that time. And Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. She knew this. She had to learn this. We have to learn this, that he is faithful. That he, it may seem like he is tarrying at any given moment because it's not happening fast enough. But he is faithful and will bring about in his timeline what he chooses to do. That when he says he saves, he saves completely. 
that when he, he says that he renews the heart, he renews it completely. When he says he will bear us into a place where there is no more suffering and no more tears, he does that completely. I trust that my Savior lives. In fact, I know that my Savior lives. So this passage about death, this passage about a person uh, faithful to the end because it's all pointing to the glory of God, we glorify God in these things, uh, I want to read a, another short passage from J.C. Ryle. I am a big fan of J.C. Ryle. I would highly recommend the book Practical Religion or Holiness to anybody in this room. But he says this, uh, with regard to as we are all facing our death, let us cleave to Christ more closely Love him more heartily, live to him more thoroughly, copy him more exactly, confess him more boldly, follow him more fully. Religion like this will always bring its own reward. Worldly people may laugh at it, weak brethren may think it extreme, but it will wear well. At even time, it will bring us light. In sickness, it will bring us peace. In the world to come, it will give us a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The time is short. The fashion of this world passeth away. A few, ooh, this is tough. A few more sicknesses and it will all be over. A few more funerals and our own funeral will take place. A few more storms and tossings and we shall be safe in harbor. We travel toward a world where there is no more sickness where parting and pain and crying and mourning, mourning are done with forevermore. I commend those thoughts to you. Sometimes the sickness we have is the last sickness we'll ever have. Sometimes the last funeral we went to is the one funeral before our own funeral. The devil loves us not to think about our dying day. The devil loves for us to think more about the things we can do and to make the plans for the future and not to consider that we too will one day be placed in a cave facing the Oaks of Mamre. We must hold fast to our faith. We must cleave ourselves to Jesus and abide in him in everything that we do. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. We trust that death is destroyed by our Lord and Savior. For it says in Revelation 20:14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. In verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I trust that as Christ's followers, that all will be born into that safe harbor. And I know it to be true because in Romans chapter 8, it says these words. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Romans 8, 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we think of the faithfulness of Sarah, we should think to ourselves and examine the faithfulness in our own lives. We should consider our thoughts of our dying day as our daily friend. We should trust in the Lord that he, nothing can separate us from his love. That we are found fully secure in his hands, that he will not lose one that he has given to the Son. And I just commend that to you today, that if you don't know Jesus and you're being more and more compelled to know more about Jesus, to understand what this means, come and see one of us today so that we can talk about that with you. But I desire for all those who are Christ followers to trust in Jesus in the work that he has done, to have that faith to the end, to hold fast to your faith, to hold firmly to Jesus and nothing else. He is that anchor of your soul that penetrates into the most holy place, Hebrews 6, 19. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that was done on the cross, work that we could not do. Thank you for taking upon the wrath of the Father to satisfy the payment for our sins. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for the rising again through the seated at the heavenly places, for the interceding of prayer for us. Help us with our faith, just like the man says in Mark, help us, help me, uh, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Please be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.